Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 249 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Paul and in uh, the Dells with a beautiful scenic backdrop that you guys can't see because this is not a visual medium. Uh, Ryan, how how is it going, guys? We're, we're doing this a little late because, Ryan, you've been traveling a little bit. Yeah, so I got home, spent a good solid 24 hours at home, and then it was right back on the road up to uh, the Bayfield area. And uh, so I did my fish excursion and then uh, spent the weekend in Bayfield, dumped a canoe, destroyed a phone, uh, went to Big Top Chautauqua, <laughs> and now I'm in the Dells visiting my parents for uh, the evening here. So, yeah. Busy couple of days for you. Paul, how, how mm-hmm. have you been doing? Uh, doing okay. It's um, It hasn't been as busy as Ryan is here, but uh, we, uh, we did team building at work last week and nothing. Uh, well, yeah. Something against team building, but nothing against team building. But uh, <laughs> when you're not, when you are doing team building, you can't be doing your normal job. So catching up a little bit as as those things tend to go. You know, you know who's an expert in team building is Russell Carlton, uh, pizza cutter, and uh, I have always been curious about what he how he actually feels about all of that because. He gave a ton of advice on it in um, in the only rules it has to work. Like he's the kind of the third character in that book, and he seems very sincere. And never met anybody who I feel is actually sincere about corporate team building. So I would actually <laughs> like like a half hour with Russell Carlton on the topic. Most of them seem like Mike Judge's character in that episode of Frasier, yep. where they're doing a uh, <laughs> yeah a sex a sexual harassment seminar. Most of them seem like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the less I say, the better right now, I Indeed. guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a wonderful life of a consultant. You drop in, tell people to do stuff, and then leave without having to deal with any consequences exactly. after. So, Such is uh, the life. Good, good gig if you can get it. Uh, life goals, I guess. Uh, we unfortunately, I guess, have a lot to talk about in, in Brewers land. Uh, the last time we came to you guys, it was... A, basically fresh off the Josh Hader trade, but we were hopeful that something else would happen the following day to kind of, you know, uh, get the bad taste out of some people's mouths, give us some hope going forward. And uh, that didn't quite happen. And (laughs) it led to probably the angriest week on Brewers Twitter I've seen in in a long time, even probably more so than that nine game losing streak or whatever they had earlier this year. It was it was not pleasant to be online, guys. I don't know how much you kind of looked around or if you just kind of logged off yeah i participated so yes <laughs> I, I saw lots of it. it it was it was rough it was not great yeah you know me i, I tweet through it so yeah i was right there <laughs> all right well you guys tweeted through it we're gonna talk through some of it here too we got a lot of questions understandably so uh following the deadline and and the inauspicious on-field stuff that that was to follow so we'll get to that in a minute but first as always a reminder if you want to help support us and the podcast network you can become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate for a little or as little as two bucks a month uh that gets you question priority both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible fall which i hear you guys have recorded an episode and is coming out later this week um yes uh it'll release on wednesday and this is the uh nfc north preview episode and this is with guest stars so this is with uh arif Hassan, who is the athletic uh beat writer for the minnesota vikings kentley platt the inventor of 
relative athletic score, which we reference all the time on the podcast, formerly of Pride of Detroit for the for the Lions, and uh, Lauren Cox, who does the Locked On Bears podcast and uh, writes for Pro Football Focus for the Bears. So uh, nice. it, it was a good time, and it's in the can. So that'll be coming out on Wednesday. And we don't have a minor league extra for you yet. We'll have one coming up. Uh, we'll talk about the, the guys we're traded for. But if you'd like to get James Anderson's opinion on this, uh, he spoke to Clay Link, his old co-host, on the Rotowire Prospect podcast last Wednesday, so right after those trades happened. And he had some insight, talked about the players that the Brewers got. So I would recommend checking that out if you'd like to hear what James has to say about those guys. Yeah, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this week as well in a few minutes. We've got a couple of questions about this, but definitely be on the lookout for Paul's NFC North preview. I know he, he worked very hard to assemble that cast yep. of characters there, and, and you're really proud of it, and I can't wait to to take a listen. I it think it turned out really well. I also think I will have a mini pod on Friday, time willing, if you are a Patreon subscriber, um, specifically on their rookie receivers. And you know we'll talk a lot about Romeo Dubs especially, who is... And not only the talk of camp, but kind of the talk of all camps at this point. Um, he's mm-hmm. kind of caught on nationally as a a, a prospect, and uh, he, he, the Packers got him in the fourth round and maybe have something special on their hands. Yeah, definitely exciting to see that happen. And I know he's become a sleeper in a lot of the fantasy leagues I'm already yeah, in, yep. too. So, he definitely uh, is. Definitely worth a late round flyer if you if you can. But all that extra content available for five bucks a month at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. So uh, sign up if you haven't already, or you can always upgrade from that two dollar to five dollar level at any time as well. All right. So turning to the Brewers, it's uh, been an eventful week, to say the <laughs> least, after trading Josh Hader. I would like to point out that correlation is not causation, but they have gone one in five since the deadline, including a sweep in Pittsburgh for their annual nightmare series at PNC Park that I was hopeful that they had avoided, but uh-huh. I guess not. Nope. And uh, three losses in extra innings in the last week with plenty of bad defense to go around. They, uh, needless to say, kind of played down to their level of competition in the last week, which is not super inspiring, especially considering the Cardinals are surging again. They're fully recovered from that doldrum of about a month ago that we were talking about. They they are coming off a sweep of the Yankees, who have they the sure best record are. in the American League. Uh, you know, of course, the Yankees have kind of been scuffling lately as well. New York's kind of hand-wringing over their trade deadline. But uh, basically, the, the gist is the Cardinals are two up on the Brewers now, uh, with or without the help of the umpires, too. Oof, that last <laughs> Sunday game was... A treat if you haven't seen that umpire scorecard but basically you know things have changed for the brewers in a hurry here they're like i mentioned two games out of the central race uh and also currently outside of the three wild card spots as well so within the span of a week they went from leading the division to being out of the playoffs altogether. so needless to say lots of questions and uh plenty of concern among our patrons so this is basically going to be an all questions episode going forward because you guys asked all the questions that we wanted to talk about anyway so i think that worked out nicely so <laughs> let's start now uh with andrew Merker. first question of the week andrew's question uh very simple describe how this week could have been more frustrating <laughs> it, so paul let's start with you it could not have been more frustrating if you were if you're trying to just screenwriter write a, some sort of comeuppance for the trade deadline, this is pretty much what it would be um, to a T because um, so they, they traded away Hater and then 
they basically lost a bunch of like save situation games uh, with in, in bizarre ways. Uh, sometimes with new people pitching in that role, um, with, with Bush blowing one on a wild pitch, and Devin Williams looking like uh, like there were so many meatballs where like can Devin Williams handle being a closer, and then um, he did that. So that's no fun, and uh, it's not like they. So I guess you could have had him get shut out a bunch. That would have been how you could make it worse. Uh, if they could have lost all six games too, there's that. Well, okay, mm-hmm. that's true. They could have lost more <laughs> games than they did. <laughs> Fair enough, um, but they actually did score a decent amount of runs. So I guess if you want to see how could it have been worse. Their bats also could have gone quiet all at the same time, too. That's how it could have gotten worse. Well, they also could have had a bunch of injuries, and they True. seem to have mostly avoided that, though Narvaez is banged up a little bit. News I got from my mom, I missed that somehow over the weekend, and she's like, what's going on with Narvaez? And I had to go look it up and like see what was going yeah, on there. So. literally got hurt right after they DFA'd Pedro Severino. Yep, it so, was like again, 10 minutes. another thing yeah. that uh, went wrong for the Brewers. So, I mean, they could have had a bunch of larger injuries, I guess. Like, you, <laughs> you know, Omar does count, but he's also like, he's a timeshare catcher at this point. Like, him and Caratini are splitting time there. So, yeah. it's, Narvaez isn't even really the, I wouldn't call him the starter there anymore. It's it's definitely a timeshare. But you also could have had a bunch of blowouts. And they were in these games. And I guess that in some ways mm-hmm. makes it more frustrating and infuriating because you had, what, two walk-offs and two extra yeah. inning games three extra and, inning losses oh yeah two against so, the pirates and in one against the the reds so yeah i mean so these are close games for the most part and even the not close games were two run games so like that was that was as far as it got and yes i know about the quality of the competition it was bad though i think you can make some arguments that like pittsburgh is not the same team they were that began the season so they're tougher they're a tougher team right now. They didn't really do a ton of subtracting at the deadline. Really, hardly any that I can think of. Um, they basically just sort of stood pat. Pittsburgh? Have been... They got rid of their best they... player. Big Dan. Dan Vogelbach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They also they... traded Quintana to the to the Cardinals yes, just they to did. make our lives worse. Just to make our lives more miserable, yes. But, I mean, for the most part, they had already done most of their tearing down. The Reds continued their tearing down. And those were pitchers. I don't know. The Brewers just didn't seem to uh, to really take off on any of those red starters the way I was hoping that they would. And every every Reds pitcher who came in had an ERA of like six. six. It was all six. I was like, well, they'll probably be okay against this guy. That was a dumb thing to think. Why did I? Why did that go through my brain? <laughs> like that's not how this right. ever works. But then they also just had, like, one of the games I did see, because I was on the road a lot, so I didn't see a lot of these, but I was kind of following along. Uh, That Thursday afternoon game, holy hell, the Brewers could have scored, I don't know, six, seven, eight runs in both the the ninth and the tenth inning there and hit the ball well and had the Pirates turn a couple of incredibly good defensive plays with the bases loaded Mm -hmm. to end innings where if those balls get down or get through – like then, you know, you're looking at multiple runs in each case. And it, it, we're talking about a very different ending to that series. So like, I don't, I don't know. I heard that there was a lot of kicking the ball around on Tuesday and Wednesday night. You, you heard correctly. There was, there was plenty of that. Yes. Yeah. And then Brousseau, I didn't see it because I was on my way out to the car at that point, but Brousseau's uh, two base error figured very heavily in Devin Williams taking what I think is more of a hard luck loss than anything else in that 
at the end of that 10th inning because did he he didn't give up a hit did he or maybe he if he did give up a hit it was just like a single but there was also the two base error and the runner who started at second so neither Mm -hmm. of those runs were earned so i mean just a lot of like frustrating things and like you talked about with with matt bush he just really uh came in and and had a rough go of it in his first couple appearances though he did look better in his final appearance of the weekend so that was more the guy I was expecting to see yeah so the close games for me are worse because what is Craig Tember if not exceeding your expected win total in close games based on creative bullpen usage and uh when you do give away the closer and then you start to not win those you know those ba- those high leverage games like that it does leave a sour taste like the the whole point of the construction of the bullpen and having the manager is to not lose close games like that's how they're built <laughs> so uh, it it's it's still a small sample but it's it's not it's uh it's frustrating to give away the guy who basically for the first half of the season minus the last month never ever ever let that happen um and then go out and have it happen a whole bunch of times right away <laughs> I mean, I guess to be fair, though, a, a couple, two or three of those were they were giving away games in like the sixth or seventh inning before he even got to a save situation. Right. So, I mean, that's it's a greater bullpen failing. It is. So, sure. Uh, and definitely not great when you spent your entire deadline basically trying to add reinforcements to the bullpen and in, increase that depth. And as you mentioned, one of the guys that they were really hyped about at Bush did not have a good couple of outings in his first couple uh, stints with the Brewers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely frustrating in, in that regard, too. It, it was definitely a bad week to have a bad week, just mm-hmm. knowing generally <laughs> it really was. What, the, <laughs> what the reaction already was. And this just, you know, possibly just being a run-of-the-mill bad week in the start of August that a lot of teams have, it was just the, the narrative was already there and it kind of fed into it, which I think kind of made things even more unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, so the guys in the Ryan Sweaty Pretzels group chat uh, were <laughs> workshopping ideas for episode titles for this week. Okay. And Steve, I think, came up with the winner, uh, which was it's not called Crocust. So <laughs> I think that uh, we're just going to have to go with that and say, right. you know, Craig, Craig Temper is is down the road. This is this is Crocust and. We've we've had some bad Krogists. Like that has been sort of a consistent theme. They uh they have struggled through the dog days in this time period for whatever reason, uh, more than once. So hopefully they get it turned around quicker than that. They do still have you know all those home games in September. So mm-hmm. there is that to look forward to. Though people were were passing around today. Um, if you look at at schedule stuff. They don't have the easiest schedule. The, group, the Cardinals have a really soft schedule for mm-hmm. the rest of the year here. Um, and the next two wanna... weeks for the Brewers especially is extremely difficult, and things could get out of hand in a hurry if they, they really kind of let it. Yeah. All right. Um, next Patreon question comes from Price Trozen, and I think this is a point that I had kind of talked about on Twitter too and really kind of had this thought that maybe <laughs> this last week was more – the shoddy fielding than the bad pitching post deadline that really did them in. Although it was just a lot of unfortunate <laughs> factors altogether, right? Nobody's really helping anybody, but Price's t- question here is 
I really think the errors have hurt more than any pitching picadillos that they've gotten into. I can't really blame Craig for that. What do you think? So, you know, like I was saying on Twitter, this has kind of been an all year thing too. So if you're the type that wants to get into, oh, they were distracted because they were heartbroken over losing Josh Hader and they lost their best friend and now they can't play defense. That's kind of crap because as we've been talking about, they've been kicking the ball around plenty all year. So I, I don't know, Paul, your feelings on the defense in the last week. And (laughs) is that the bigger problem going forward? Or is that just kind of part of what's really contributed to the pitching being disappointing? Well, it's not great. um, And it's definitely cost them games and it does cascade onto the pitchers. Like certain guys don't react well when they have to get extra outs. No, nobody likes it. And, uh, it's much more difficult to have to get extra outs. And it's been a problem for them for a, a good chunk of the season with the, the decline of Colton Wong and the loss of Lorenzo Cain's defense in the outfield. They're not the same defensive team they used to be, so these things popping up um, are not great. Uh, on, the, on the other side, I wouldn't dismiss the, the clubhouse aspect quite as quickly as we did last week. Last week, when asked yeah. about it, what I said was, um, we don't really know. Like the, the the thing about you can speculate it all you want. It's a meathead thing to say. It'll definitely hurt the team. Um, but th- at least we do have some information. We know Devin Williams certainly was not a fan of it, and Devin Williams is clearly an emotional guy uh, on account of you know <laughs> punching things he's not supposed to punch. We already know that he was clearly very angry about the trade um, up front, and uh, I I think that this may not have been handled internally by the front office and by Craig Council as deftly as some other moves they've made in the past were. So uh, whatever, they'll get over it, I'm sure. But Yeah, before uh, we go on from that, I just want to say something about that. That's at least a little weird too, right? Because if anybody benefits financially from Josh Hader <laughs> no longer being on the team, it's Devin Williams yeah. who's going to get a bunch of saves now heading into his, his Arby year. It's weird. However... Players don't think like, well, people who do podcasts do or agents do even, (laughs) you know, Um, baseball players do fundamentally still care about winning baseball games and uh, everybody on the team playing the game would like to actually get into the playoffs, win a World Series, Devin Williams included. Losing Josh Hader, I think, from their perspective, makes that quite a bit harder. It, and it looks like a sell-off, you know, P- players are also not sabermetricians and players are also not, you know, we, we can talk later about whether Josh is maybe... Uh, damaged goods at this point. That may very well be the case, but I very much doubt the rest of the Milwaukee Brewers are keyed into the subtle behind-the-scenes indicators in his repertoire that the Brewers may be relying on, and I doubt the Brewers front office is running down to the clubhouse to say, guys, don't worry, Josh was secretly washed, and we just did everybody a favor. That's not <laughs> happening either. Right. So um, it's it's weird in that, yes, he benefits. Like, he'll make more in arbitration, or, you know, whatever. I forget where Devin is. He's still in arbitration, right? Um, he, he'll be heading into arbitration. Heading into arbitration. platform year, okay. yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely good for him. Getting saves gets you money. No, There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But in the moment, it, it just looks like we were in first place and going gangbusters, and they got rid of one of our best players. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I kind of had an inkling that might have happened last week when I brought up the topic, and it, it turns <laughs> out maybe it was more maybe patient yes. than we had thought. Um, although, to to the credit of some other guys, too, they, you know, kind of shook things off. You know, I saw some stuff about Andrew McCutcheon being mic'd up for the Friday game, kind of 
uh, assuring everybody the vibes were still good in the clubhouse. And also, you know, by Friday or whatever, a lot of that initial shock's worn off too, right? So I don't know. It's just because we can't quantify it, it, it's tough to kind of say how much it affected the team, at least in that first day or two, right? Because that is kind of shocking um, and, and something you don't expect to deal with. But you know, by the, by the end of the week, they were hitting. They were, you know, playing decently well. They were just kind of still losing, um, you know. And you you saw Hunter Renfro and, and other guys on Sunday kind of say, you, you know, they're not worried about it, and and it just is kind of a bad week to suck, you know. Like mm-hmm. I was saying, yep. so it, I don't know. It, it we struggle with the squishy stuff, as we said, and there was probably something more to it than a lot of people had thought, but. Also, you know, I heard this point, too, just like from the national people kind of analyzing the trade and saying, oh, it was an interesting, strange trade. And and, but one that, you know, if you can pull it off, can really work out. It's just very difficult to pull it off. You know, teams like the Rays have plenty of experience doing this and guys playing for the Rays know to kind of expect it. Right. But this is really kind of the first time we've seen the Brewers do something like this, too, where they're at the top of the division and they're trading away one of their top players mid-season. It, it's something a lot of these guys haven't had to deal with. Mm-hmm. I would completely agree with that. And it we'll get more into that in a minute. Sure. All right. Next Patreon question comes from Adam Post, kind of along the same lines as Price asking, are the Brewers pitching in defense bad or at least quite a bit worse than expected heading into the season? Um, I have numbers, so we do have numbers. I was going to say, I know for sure the bullpen was probably worse than I was expecting to see when I saw some of those numbers around the deadline. But Ryan, what do you have? So I think one of the things is the offense is quietly, secretly, and in a herky-jerky sort of way been a lot better than I think people at first thought and then continue to think and realize. Uh, They're now up to eighth in runs per game in MLB. And they've evened out some of that, uh, the not scoring against good teams stuff, though. Obviously, there was going to be a lot of that to have to even out because those numbers were pretty stark when that became a thing uh, when Jack Stern wrote that article. So that has evened out quite a bit. But mostly, the Brewers' offense has just gotten to be pretty decent. (laughs) And they have a 4.63 runs per game. And that is on the high end of what I would have expected. I would have expected them to be more in the 10 to 15 range coming into the season uh, where I wouldn't have expected things to be. The Brewers pitching right now is at 4.30. So I I shouldn't say that the Brewers run prevention is they're allowing 4.3 runs per game. And that is 17th in MLB. It is just slightly better than the league average, which is 4.32. But yeah, 17th in the league. And I definitely did not expect that though. If you had told me that they were going to miss two months of Freddie, a month of Brandon, all the relievers that have been in and out, uh, Hauser's been out, you know, uh, if you were to tell me all that stuff, I would go, okay, well, I can kind of believe this. And they probably got some, some rough performances from some of these replacement guys. So I guess I can kind of buy that overall that, that is, is lower than I would expect. And I think still has a lot of room to bounce back especially because Freddie looked good in that first appearance back for the most part. And I think should do a pretty decent job uh, as long as he remains healthy and 
presumably they they gave him a clean bill of health and brought him back out there because everything has been positive talk since you know what the last month and a half of his rehab and then recovery and all that so i think you can you can look at that um going on to the fielding portion of things yeah the brewers fielding percentage is down in the uh they're 19th in baseball with a 984 fielding percentage so that would tell you they're making more errors than your average team and i think we can all attest to that that just watching them (laughs) we've seen that this year uh the picture gets a little blurrier when you start talking about advanced defensive metrics uh baseball prospectuses park adjusted defensive efficiency has them as the 13th best team in the majors in terms of converting balls in play into outs. And so that's a you know a little bit better than average, but not you know, basically average. I mean, they're kind of just right in that average neighborhood. And so what that what that actually means for the quality of this defense, I think that they probably get to more baseballs than your average team and make more than your average team's uh, share of errors. And that is, I think, something that gets a lot of attention and kind of uh, drives discourse on stuff. But I don't know, is it is it worse to have a, a defenders that just can't get to any baseballs and never make spectacular plays? Uh, or is it better to have guys who get to a lot of baseballs or a reasonable number of baseballs, but make more than your average number of mistakes on them? I'm sort of torn on that. So hey, I'll throw that to you guys. Like, I, well, I, I don't the, quite know what to think of it. The main lesson is that they're usually outstanding at turning balls into outs. And just because of a couple of personnel moves and a decline in, uh, in Wong in particular, um, it's just not as good as it used to be. So if they're if they get into a situation where they're not striking people out as much as you know, if it's not Burns or Woodruff or um, one somebody in the back end of the bullpen and guys can put it in play, it gives them a much greater chance than it used to. Um, and it it has it has a fairly large impact. I feel like the Brewers have really leveraged a lot of up the middle defense into being able to move guys around the diamond and play them out of position and get bats into the lineup that way. And it also impacts their ability to do that. Um, without uh, Kane there to, to grab everything in center field, um, I mean, it doesn't hurt them that bad because their, their outfielders are pretty set, but it does limit their creativity a little bit. You probably won't see Keston out there as much as he used to. That's probably a good thing in the overall scheme of things. <laughs> um, but uh, they are kind of locked into their positions more than they're used to being, and they really are just a, a – it's a weakness where it used to be a strength, and it does impact their their overall run prevention pretty severely yeah going back to your point about strikeouts it is interesting i'm just looking at the strikeouts now they're one of three teams in baseball over a thousand strikeouts at this point and the braves and the mets are the two teams in front of them but both have played well the braves have played two more games and the mets have played one more game on a game by game inning by inning basis it looks like the brewers i don't know i probably have the right screen up here but I'm going to go ahead and guess. I think the Brewers on an inning per inning basis are striking out more batters than anybody in baseball. Uh, but that, of course, is very uneven throughout the roster, as you're pointing out. like We have guys like Corbin Burns and Josh Hader, formerly, on the team, striking out a ton of guys per inning. And then you have guys like Adrian Hauser or 
uh, say Jason Alexander, some of these guys who've who've pitched more towards the back end, or maybe your uh, you know middle reliever types who aren't striking out nearly as many players. That definitely does show up for those guys more, and is going to is going to impact them disproportionately when the defense is making mistakes. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. I didn't realize that they were that high on the strikeout chart. Yeah, I guess it, it's yep. kind they've of what they're built the, around. Yeah, they've been among the league leaders in in pitcher strikeouts for for most of the year, I think, too. But uh, it's the uh, I think for me, the throwing errors that seem to be more prevalent this year, whether it's Colton Wong or Willie Adamas trying to force a play that he probably shouldn't have, as we saw this past weekend, um, that kind of thing that that really kind of adds extra bases to uh, a mistake. And those things really kind of compound in a hurry. When it seems like everybody gets on on the act, you had Mike Brousseau on Sunday making a, a bad throwing error. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that, you know, has generally been okay defensively. I think so it's kind of everybody gets in on the act. Yep. Yeah. All right. Next Patreon question kind of goes back to that morale question. That conversation we were having a few minutes ago comes from Mark Podscarby asking, it was discussed quite a bit how Craig would have to handle the team morale after the hater trade and keep players focused. Given the way the team has responded, can we say Craig Craig has simply failed in this regard? I think that might be a little harsh, but <laughs> Paul, I guess what's what's your take? Obviously, we we don't know what's said behind closed doors. So but... it's it's harsh because it's still early, and mm-hmm. uh, you can still fix it. You can still get the team on board, but I do think they had a, a sort of overall organizational problem here. The, this was not their finest moment of messaging across the board. First of all, uh, they, they did came out and say, uh, either through PR or, or it might have even been Stearns, uh, after the trade that, that the team was basically on board, which was not the case, and you can't yeah. say that. And then the almost, the almost immediate DFA of uh, Danielson LeMay was also not really handled great. Um, you know, It made it look like they made either a mistake or... Um, this, this, this gets back into more of the analysis of the trade, too, but the prospects that they got were not uh, an overwhelmingly consensus great get and taking essentially or having to chip in cash via taking Danielson LeMay or Lamette um, makes that look worse too. Uh, and from a player perspective, when you see them trade hater and get guys back and then immediately cut one of them, probably also doesn't sit that well in the clubhouse. You know, right. um, it, it's one of those things where and I understand that there are, good transactional reasons to do that rather than exchange cash but i do i feel like sometimes taking the cash route uh in this case may have played better with the players uh than taking a guy back who you think oh maybe they see something he might be a teammate blah 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 and then they cut him right away like well that was weird are they is this just about money for them Uh, honest uh, ironically i think going the player route may make it look more like it's about money and cheapness than the cash route would when it's really more about prospect quality. So um, I, I, I do think they had an overall message failure here to the players, uh, to the media, kind of across the board, and they can fix it, but it was not their finest hour for sure. And that yeah. wasn't necessarily a Craig Council message. It's not. Uh, I, I mean, he's yeah. just the guy on the on the back end, and there's only so much he can do to spin things. Um, objectively, the way the moves went off on this trade were weird. And uh, Craig probably did fail more than he usually does. But he, I think he also had a little bit of a harder job than he usually does. Yeah, I think that that's 
a completely fair. And I think he was also somewhat in the dark based on what he said about Lamette afterwards. Granted, he didn't commit to anything like, oh, he's going to be so great for us. It's going to be wonderful and all that. Like he didn't go overboard in his praise, but it didn't seem like he was aware the team was, you know, quite likely going to be DFAing the guy within 12 hours of him saying that. I mean, they had him in uniform the day after the trade. There was the picture of him walking to the bullpen yep. with Taylor Rogers. It was weird. It was weird. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it seems like somebody kind of failed on that aspect. And maybe it was that, you know, when it came time to, to do the roster machinations, they had made, you know, the additional move for Matt Bush and they had made the move for, uh, for Trevor Rosenthal, though Rosenthal wasn't, you know, he, he still hasn't pitched for the team and that's, you know, <laughs> going to be a thing that's down the road for them. We haven't even talked so, about that, but the, it's the extra yes. weirdness yeah. too, man. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, they kind of did a lot of outside the box stuff here and I get that that's, you know, raising eyebrows and causing, I mean, it did cause legitimate confusion. The, the main reaction that I saw at first to the hater trade was not anger. It was confusion. People were like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is very strange. And yeah. I think a lot of people that normally would give Stearns the benefit of the doubt were confused and just didn't quite get it. We, If you want to hear all about that, go back and listen to last week's episode. We <laughs> talked about that at length. But yeah, I think that like that part of things and just the, the inconsistency of the messaging on it and the fact they didn't seem to all be on the same page. Yeah, they, they could have handled all that better. I will say... Well, no, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. So I'll, yes. I'll just I'll say that. <laughs> That's what we call a tease in the biz. All yeah. right. Uh, next Patreon question coming up. Not necessarily along that same line of thought, but we'll circle back <laughs> to that. Uh, PJ Wessels asking, bigger disappointment, Fulham versus Liverpool or Reds versus Brewers? Ryan, I'm guessing that's for you. And yeah. can, Craig, can Craig Timber save this team? So, oh. all right, Ryan, which one's worse? Wessels, you have the heart of an assassin. I woke up at <laughs> 6 30 in the morning to watch that game and just sat there in agony with a couple of eight-year-olds who were watching their first, I think, soccer game ever on TV because they play <laughs> soccer, but were watching the their first ever on TV. And they were trying to figure out why why Ryan was so mad. <laughs> so that was that was an experience. It's too early in the morning to be that upset, man. Well, yeah, and I, I kept my language uh I kept my language appropriate for the situation, but <laughs> man, uh, yeah, Fulham, uh, Fulham, who was just promoted this year, uh, drew Liverpool at home to open the Premier League season, and uh, Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool, had probably one of the harshest reactions I've ever seen to a performance of his teams in his six, seven years here at Liverpool. Um, he was just like, yeah, we sucked, like, we were bad, and we need to be better than that, so um you know, uh, they both sucked. End of, yeah, move, moving on to the Craig Timber thing. Yeah, it can save the team, and it, there's a pretty good chance it will, but we, we just got to get there first, I think. It might need to. It might need <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> All right, next Patreon question coming from MC Cham, asking, with the hater trade and numerous bullpen collapses, it's been a week of getting clowned by the entire baseball internet. I'm starting to feel personally attacked. What are some other low points for the Brewers where you've had to log off because you were so salty? <laughs> so both of you said you did not log off this week. You mm -hmm. you tweeted through it and got angry with the rest of them. But Correct. Paul, has there been a chance, uh, a point in time where you just kind of put the phone down and said, you know, maybe tomorrow? Uh, 
I don't know. That's not really my style, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I'm more likely to just put out sardonic, somewhat humorous tweets about tragedy. So um, I, I, I do kind of doubt. <laughs> so the Packers have made me that mad a couple times, but I'm not sure the Brewers have even playoff losses for the Brewers. Um, like like the 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 hater what Washington Trent yeah. Grisham game. Like what that's. Even that, I was like, "Well, okay, that sucks," but I think I still tweeted through it. So, not really. I don't. I don't really do that. That's. I just. Uh, I push through the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I definitely tweet through it much to uh, Steve Gershinsky's eternal horror and and uh, shame. So you guys don't have to do that. There's a better way. No, there's not. You can <laughs> preserve your mental health and just put the phone away and give it a few days. Let everybody else tire themselves out, and then it's more pleasant when you come back. That's that's more my style, but no, more power to you guys. And, and that's not to demean anybody who got into arguments on Twitter in the last week. I I am also prone or susceptible to that as well. I know I had a rough couple of days there uh, before I decided, you know what, uh, better not get myself in trouble. So I, I, I logged off. All right, next Patreon question comes from Devin Bearwolf. Asking, uh, speaking of the Hater return, do you think the Brewers' somewhat light return for Hater was due to other teams thinking he might be broken, as we had talked about earlier, or the Brewers turned down what could be perceived as better trades because they really liked the two prospects they got from San Diego? So, Ryan, I guess let's start with you on this one. Which one do Mm -hmm. you think is more likely out of those? Well, I think both of them are true to a certain amount of, uh, to a point here, because I do think that Teams would have had to have been, after looking at what Paul detailed last week in terms of the down uh, stuff from Josh Hader, that his stuff hasn't been as good lately, and just the fact that uh, that like that exists in the world, there has to be at least some of that going on. Uh, and the the Padres being the team that ultimately like just pushed through and said, we're going to do this no matter what, isn't surprising because... The Padres, as far as like pitching development and understanding go, I think to be nice about this, nicer than I was last week, like they're not at the cutting edge of, you know, pitching understanding. I don't think I don't think anybody would say that they're they're on the cutting edge of that. So I think that it has to be somewhat true here that like the Padres were willing to offer more than other teams were. Um but I think the bigger thing here is I think they really liked the guys that they got and that those were guys, I mean, they've said as much. They've said that they they really like them. They think Gosser is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball and people just don't re- uh, recognize it yet. And some of the advanced numbers on him would, would bear that out, that he is a really, really good pitching prospect. So I think that you know, they took the return that they liked the most, but I don't know how much they even shopped this offer because like Stern said, he never had, he never placed an outgoing phone call about Josh Hader. Right. And if if that right. And if, if that is true, and I don't see any particular reason to believe that he's lying about that, um, that would mean that they didn't really shop this offer on, on Hader which tells me they really liked the guys that they got more than anything, right? So they must have really liked what they got. Even if other people look at the situation and don't see what they see, um, they must have really liked it, I think, for them to have done it. 
Yep, I agree. Uh, really quick, I did want to add um, on the on as to the specific point about whether other teams think Hader is washed. The answer, or, or, they at least probably do think he's somewhat damaged because. Aside from the numbers that we could see in StatCast that I detailed last week, um, Prospectus had a, a post come out t- uh, today, actually, by Michael Ayeto, who I'm not familiar with, but um, details specifically what has changed in Hater's delivery over the last month, um, how it's been uh, sneakily creeping up for the last year and a half or so, and essentially has to do with the fact that his vertical release point will no longer plays nicely with the spin he creates on his sinker and uh it's uh it's in the data on his actual release point and the spin um, angle but also in the data in terms of the pop-ups he's no longer generating um he used to get more sink and more whiffs and uh, weak contact because of that those pop-ups have disappeared in addition to the whiffs uh, because of the more the the less severe uh break and because more barrels are happening so they also um, mentioned in this article that it's hard to get that arm slot back. Um, that once your your arm sort of drifts a little bit, um, it tends to stay that way. And uh, so there is a good chance that he's either going to have to mess with his grip on his sinker um, or do something that pitchers don't usually do and get that arm slot a little bit more sideways and a little bit less over the top. Hmm, interesting. I missed that in all my traveling. So, uh, so the, it has been really examined. And we did yep. hear something about that. I want to say... Uh, maybe Eno Saris mentioned that that like Josh Hader's release point was higher than it it had yep, been. Yep. Somebody on one of the podcasts this week who really knows their stuff did mention that. So, uh, yeah, um, it's not terribly surprising that there was something here. We kind of speculated about it last week at the time. Mm-hmm. Like we said, chances are good the Brewers are seeing something here that is not necessarily making them bail on Hater, and they weren't just like having a clearance sale on, you know, all Hater must go here. They were, <laughs> they were like doing this in a measured way, but something that at least was a, a push factor to go along with the pull factor of those prospects that they had coming back. You know, there was something telling them, you know, now might not be the worst time to, to deal Josh Hader. Uh, if they're going to do that, you know, over the next, either the off season or into next year sometime now might not be the worst time to do it. It seems like there's mounting evidence that that is the case. Like we said last week with relievers, especially sometimes better to be a year early than a year late on trading those guys. So we'll see mm-hmm. another question here from Kevin Cunding Cundinger. Ooh, mess that one up bad. Uh, sorry, Kevin, but uh, about the return of the hater trade, asking, knowing there's a lot of internal excitement within the Brewers about Gasser and Ruiz, I'm choosing to focus on the positives. With that in mind, looking at the top four prospect by outfielders, a key piece of the hater trade is an outfielder, and Yelich being signed long-term, it could be a position of strength we could deal from in the future. Question is, who do you project the starting outfield will be in 2025? <laughs> Now this is an interesting question, uh, Ryan. Let's start with you. Who's who's your starting outfield opening day, twenty twenty five? What is that? About two and a half years from now. Uh, yeah. So it'd be yeah, maybe a couple years from now. Um, I'm I'm torn on this one. Everything I've heard is that Jackson Churia is a legit center fielder. He certainly looked the part when I saw him from a distance for a game. Um. So, like, there's no question in my mind that, like, 
he can play center field right now. I just think that there's a chance that they're going to look at Sal Freilich as potentially a plus-plus center fielder and say we would rather have him out there and maybe move Churio over to a corner. And so I'm wondering at that point, um, if you're looking at like Sal Freilich in center, you're looking at Joey Weimer in right, and you're looking at Churio in left and having a, a really, really dangerous, good defensive outfield, and then having Yelich perhaps splitting time between DH and first base. I think at some point Yelich is going to play some first base for the Brewers. That might be a little bit early for that, but I think that, uh, yeah, you could see it by that point. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with the all-prospect outfield and say Churio in left, Freilich in center, and Weimer in right. Right, and that definitely won't happen. <laughs> They're trading Weimer clear. this winter, right? Like, that's going to happen. Like, Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Paul, how about you? I mean, I'm just going to go with that. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> Prospects, not Sounds my good. jam. And I would have gone with I would have gone with Weimer and Cheerio because I know their names. So There you go. <laughs> Poor Garrett Mitchell, just falling off the face of the earth. All right. Uh Maybe he's, he's actually to be yeah. well to be nice about him specifically. He has been having a good run uh, since he came off the IL and mm-hmm. has been playing well at Double A uh, in recent weeks. So, uh, or at least he was. I haven't looked in the last week or so, but he he had been on a decent run there, which was important because he was starting to get into that. Oh, uh, we might have a you know a bust on our hands here. Territory. Corey Ray on our hands. Yep. Yeah. Well, th- there's a big difference between <laughs> taking Corey Ray at five and Garrett Mitchell at 20. Yeah. Like that, there's a world of difference there. So, but yes, like it was looking, it was looking more bleak a month ago than it, it is today. All right. Next one comes from Stephen path. Just simply help me understand DFA <laughs> Lamette. Um, I think we probably touched on this, but Paul, the, straight cash. Quick and dirty is this is a straight cash move that they got better prospects than they otherwise would have gotten um, by taking his contract on and eating the money and then ditching him because they were not interested in having him on the team. He 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 was claimed and signed by the Rockies, by the way, um, where he yep. will play where they will pay him very little. Um, but that's really what it comes down to: is uh, the Brewers bought better prospects by also taking him on as well. Yeah, and getting back to the PR angle of this, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, the Brewers probably would have been better off just saying, hey, you know what? Instead of sending us Danielson Lamette, how about we just send you $2 million? And then we're very clearly at that point sending money for better prospects than we would have otherwise gotten. Absolutely. And then the PR narrative on this would have been a lot better and people would have gotten a lot less worked up about the it basically cheap ass sta- brewers yeah right it, it would have it, made it look like they're not cheap it would have made it look like they were literally interested in buying better people which 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 is literally what they did it is that's it why is. this whole thing is kind of funny is the the narrative about it is cheap ass brewers and it's like no this is the opposite of that they they spent money to get better prospects but most people just look at the prospects and go they aren't ranked in the top 100 so why do i give a shit about these guys and so like you that that instantly like again the worst thing that happened in this whole deal pr wise was that mlb pipeline doesn't update their prospects and that Esther ruiz was still ranked 28th in their system 
uh, when that no longer reflected in any way, shape, or form what his true value is. Yeah. So here's a question that uh, that Ruby Q yelled at me about ten times over the course of the last week. <laughs> uh, specifically, you, you could both take a crack at it, but mainly for for Ryan. Do you think they could have gotten functionally the same, the equivalent value for Hader in the offseason? I am going to say no, and it gets a little bit weird. And I think the reason is that uh, when I looked at what the the Padres payroll situation is, um, they're headed to what in the NFL you guys would call a salary cap hell um, Mm. because they're about to go flying past luxury tax next year unless they take a bunch of salary off the books or they don't add pitching, which they're going to desperately need. They're in, they're going to be in a really bad salary position uh, starting immediately next year. And I think that in the off season, I think right now I have a very low opinion of AJ Preller, not as a scout, but as a manager of a baseball roster. And I think that's his <laughs> job. Right. Well, yes. He, well, what is it? The Peter principle? You rise to the level of your incompetence? That's, like That is correct, yes. So, like, Preller is very good at at talent acquisition and uh, swinging trades that make everybody go ooh and ah. Um, he's much less good, and you can see it in their record. Literally, they haven't been over 500 in his tenure except in 2020 and this year. Those are the only two times they've been over 500 in his entire tenure, despite winning the offseason every year and winning the trade deadline and whatever. Anyway, um, I think that right now, Josh Hader's 15, 17, 18 million dollars is a problem for future AJ to deal with. <laughs> like he, he's not worrying about that right now because this is about putting the best team on the field right now. Uh, he's gonna start looking at the the numbers come the offseason, and unless that owner has decided, oh yeah, I'm going to go to $250 million payroll. Uh, AJ is going to have to make some really tough decisions. And I think that in the off season, trading Josh Hader to teams that are trying to come in under budget and trying to, to manage a budget, I think that they would have had a hard time getting as much for Hader just because at that point you're dealing one year of a one inning relief pitcher who is making... 15 or 18 million dollars a year or for that year and i don't think that that has nearly as much value even if it's josh Hader, i don't think that has nearly as much value as public perception would say it does and i think that if you go back and look through history of these deals that people have made it's generally been true and that it's been pretty sketchy those guys just don't bring back a big return so i don't think I don't think you get Gosser and, and Ruiz straight up for Hader after this season. Um, I think that there's a – I'll put it this way. I'm not going to say you wouldn't get it. I'm going to say there's a very good chance you couldn't get it. Fair enough. And uh, Ruby will yell at me later for uh, you comparing the luxury tax threshold to an actual salary cap. But that's okay. I don't mind that. I'll, I, can, I can take that. I mean, they treat it like a salary cap, right? They, they do treat it like a salary cap. I, I will say this, too. If Josh Hader is, in fact, broken or substantially damaged, then this was absolutely the right time to trade him. There's just no doubt about it, because if he is damaged, he will be bad for the rest of the year and show that he is damaged. And uh, he has not really been great with San Diego thus far. He uh, 
Uh, I don't know if he's like pitching right now or not, but uh, coming into this, he's thrown <laughs> one inning and he got one he got one strikeout, but everybody yeah. else made contact on him. So it's uh, it's still not the old Josh Hader even to this day. Yeah, good old Padres went out and got a fifteen million dollar closer and then got swept in four games by the Dodgers, and they might miss the playoffs. And that's my new favorite narrative. I saw I saw this floating around too. That <laughs> what happens if the Brewers knock the Padres out of the third playoff spot and they miss the playoffs again? That'd be fun, but that would also mean the Cardinals make the playoffs, and none of us want that to happen. <laughs> so, all right, next question. Another one from Mark Podscarby asking. So, since you guys talked last, the Brewers made only one more trade, sending Tristan Peters for Trevor Rosenthal. Can you guys break this down a bit? Because it seems confusing to send a decent prospect out for a guy you could have signed just a few weeks ago and who won't yet be ready for a few weeks. Are you surprised they didn't trade for any other bats that they seemingly felt the need to overhaul their bullpen? All right, Ryan, I know you have some opinions on Tristan Peters and some of the reaction to, uh, you know, the whole giving up a top 20 prospect guy and all that thought. So I, I guess what are you, what's your take on the Trevor Rosenthal deal? Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason that they – I'm assuming the reason they didn't get him is that they were outbid for him when San Francisco uh, came in. And I, it may have just been that San Francisco offered a better opportunity. Like, you, here, you have a better chance to pitch and, like, leverage innings and get in there. And so he chose San Francisco over the Brewers. I don't know for sure that the Brewers put in an offer, but it would be weird if they hadn't because we know they were there. We know that they just wanted to trade for him, and so they they did that. It would be strange if they didn't. But all of that put aside, uh, Tristan Peters is not a guy you worry about giving up. Um, that's not to say Tristan Peters can't have a major league career. I think he absolutely can. It's more about the the ceiling of Tristan Peters, which is kind of fourth outfieldery. Um, it's very unlikely that he's going to ever be like defensively good enough to be a guy that you'd want to have in center field uh, on like a daily basis. And he doesn't project to hit for the power that you associate with a corner outfield spot. So from in that way, he's a tweener. And I think that what I told my friend who asked the same question was, I think most, his most likely outcome is he's kind of like a fifth or sixth outfielder. And in baseball in 2022, uh, the fifth outfielder has largely gone away. Most teams carry four outfielders most of the time, and then they have maybe a utility guy who can slide in and play some in the outfield. But mostly, the 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 fifth outfielder has gone away. So I think that you know, largely here you're looking at a guy who has a, a fairly low ceiling, but is probably going to you know get some at bats in the major leagues at some point in his career, but. I just, it's not the kind of guy that you worry about giving up because he's really more of a roster filler and a utility guy. And the Brewers are very good at finding those guys. So I, I just don't think that this is a place that you worry about uh, giving up somebody like Tristan Peters. Again, too. Sorry, Paul. It's okay. The biggest criticism of it is uh, even if, so I'm just going to say it, if, assuming what Ryan says is absolutely true uh, of his ceiling uh, of anything, what it still costs you is just some opportunity costs of dealing him, and it, um, it's a weird, it's a weird return. Uh, maybe he'll be fine. Maybe he'll help down the stretch, but um, it, it's such a like a very Brewersy like 
Oh, look how clever we are. We got a guy who hasn't pitched in many years with our with our <laughs> prospect. Like, well, you don't need to do that. You can just go get a good pitcher. Like, stop doing crap like that. It, I like I, I know I know your, I know your Drew Pomerantz thing worked out. It was really cute and fine and everything. But you don't have to do that every time. You can you you are allowed to actually go find good relief pitchers and get them on your team. So to be clear about what was going on with Rosenthal is he's recovering from injury and he threw four scouts a few weeks ago. And my understanding is he, the Brewers were among the teams in attendance and uh, he wowed people with not only like the velocity, but the spin that was measured by people there. Uh, people think that he is potentially uh, going to be a very good reliever for the rest of this year. The quality of his pitches is quite good. So I think that, yes, there's the, you know, he hasn't pitched in a long time aspect of all of this. And maybe it doesn't work out. Uh, and then, you know, people go back and go, well, why did we do this? Why did, why, like, you could have done something else, as you're saying, like, you could have gone and gotten somebody better. Um, but I don't think you could have gotten somebody better with Tristan Peters. <laughs> really, <laughs> right, like, not to enough. rag out Tristan Peters. Like, I think they, but like, a top 20 guy in the Brewer system is, maybe not a top 30 guy in another system, you know? Potentially, yeah. I mean, the, the Brewer system is shaped a little bit weirdly. I think it's a little bit deeper than it was. But where Peter stacks in that is kind of, there's always that question of, well, do you like Tristan Peters, who's, you know, like a 22-year-old outfielder at high A, who doesn't have much of a ceiling? Or do you like the 16-year-old uh, Venezuelan kid who is, nowhere near even playing in the United States, but has some incredible tools. Like, so that gets into how you value those things relative to each other and whatever. It, it just, I, I think more than anything, I just wouldn't worry too much about having given up Tristan Peters. <laughs> Calm down, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, Tristan. All right. Uh, I Jay do feel bad about that. <laughs> uh, Ryan, your friend Jay Google. Next question here. Uh, saying he is simply stunned they didn't try to snag another bat. Are you more surprised at how hard they went for relief pitchers or the fact that they didn't get another bat for the lineup? So, you know, obviously they chose to focus on bullpen depth, as we kind of talked about. It was kind of shaky below Hader even when they had him. But, Paul, I guess I th we all expected last yeah. week to be talking about another bat this week. We sure did. And, you know, there were early bats to get um it's it's pretty shocking and a lot of our analysis last week on the hitter trade was colored by the idea that okay they're doing this they'll, they'll probably go out and you know shore up the lineup a little bit get, get get at least maybe maybe a center fielder um you know maybe platoon bat of some something and it was weird when they did nothing and yes i know their lineup is underrated um because of the crappiness of the league generally and it's not as bad as we think it is but it's not great. I, I, Ryan put the run scored up by dr by DRC. They're like eleventh, and they're tied with five other teams, so they're like basically middle of the pack. Um, it can be better. Um, the Cardinals are have like the third best offense in baseball based on DRC plus, and that's who you're competing with here. Um, you know, it, it, if you're better than like the Reds, who cares? Um, so standing pats kind of a weird decision. It's been a bugaboo all year for them. Um, they should have done something. 
And, you know, their defense isn't as good. Even adding just a defensive center fielder would have not been the worst idea in the world if you could hit a little bit. Um, at, I don't know. It's it's surprising. I was floored. It made everything else worse because they didn't do anything on day two. I'm, call, like I'm calling it Michael day two. Michael Taylor could have been had for free, basically. But also, the yes. Royals didn't trade him anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it is strange, and I think that again, Stearns talked about this, and he said there were other deals that they were considering that they were discussing, and none of them got over the line because he didn't want to give up what the other team was asking for him to give up. Yep. And we'll probably never true well we'll never truly know what those were because we weren't in the room but we're probably not going to get a real great idea of, of what that truly was so we just kind of have to guess and we know that david stearns likes to one hold on to prospects that he believes in but two is perfectly willing to deal prospects that he's skeptical on and they've done that over and over and over again. And some of those guys have come back actually now in recent years, Jorge Lopez, who the Brewers gave up was at the deadline in 2018 has now emerged. A as a, yeah. Yeah. As a, he's now emerged as a closer. He was the yeah. throw in along with uh, Brett Phillips. He's emerged as a closer who just got traded uh, from the Orioles to the, uh, twins. the twins. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I think that if, they were hesitating to deal some of the players that they really like in their own system right now. Uh, we we have to kind of wait and see because Stearns has been pretty good about dealing the right guys at the deadline and not making too many mistakes here. And so I, I think that self-scouting has been a strength of theirs. And I think we have to kind of rely on that in this situation and say that they probably, you know, they they made probably some wise moves here, but that doesn't take the sting out of the fact that they just didn't get anybody. And I wonder if it, it came down to simply like they didn't have anybody that stood out to them as a player that, uh, that could really move the needle. And we do know there were rumors that the Brewers were involved in talking about Josh Bell from the nationals yep. and he mm -hmm. would have moved the needle putting that bat. He instantly would have become the, the highest uh, ranked bat by, by WRC plus by quite a bit yes. in the lineup and would have become a centerpiece, but it looks for all the world. Like the Nats just tossed him in along with that team is moronic. Um, you, you should not throw in another good player in that trade because you have exhausted their system to some extent by, by the first trade, you're going to do better trading him somewhere else. It, that, I, that made me so mad. They're so stupid. I hate that team. So yeah, dumb. the Nats have uh, have yeah not covered themselves in glory in recent no, years. They have not. Basically, since the minute they well, really they they got they lucked into that World Series in large part. They that everything kind of went right for them uh, on the last possible gasp when it could have like things at the the last possible moment before the whole house of cards just kind of collapsed in on itself. Everything kind of went right for them, mm -hmm. and now you look at it and go, yeah, they're. They're headed for a very long rebuild, though uh, <laughs> that did give their system a huge bump. I heard something like they went from before the deadline to after the deadline. Um, they went from ranked number 24 in Eric Longenhagen's uh, team total value to number eight. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. They, they instantly bought themselves a farm system there, yep. but uh, they've been really bad otherwise. So they, they should have 
you know, gotten themselves a farm system through the normal means as opposed to having to, uh, you know, deal off the best player in, uh, in baseball under the age of 25, maybe do ever get traded. Him and Miggy. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, can, can I sneak in a really quick random complaint? Go for Always. it. Always. All right. So um, this is not specifically about the lineup per se, but um, uh, I think, Ryan, you were probably traveling, but James, did you see Christian Yelich get thrown out stealing third the other day? Uh, allegedly thrown allegedly out. Allegedly thrown yes. out. So, uh-huh. uh, it, Ryan, did you see that as well? I did. So I've been uh, tracking afterward. I've been tracking this all year. So Christian Yelich, prior to that, had stolen 16 bases without getting caught which was the most in Major League Baseball without getting caught by, I think, three. Um, and he, it was the first time he was caught all season. Now he's now stolen 16 bases and been caught once. And he was clearly safe. Um, and yes. and uh, Replay still called him out, even though he was clearly safe. Replay is just awful. And uh, if, if he would have had like a... Like a twenty and no and zero caught season, that would have been awesome, and now it won't happen. So screw you, Major League Baseball, for that. Also, yeah, that was really bizarre. It was weird. It was so weird. It was such a stupid bad call. I I I did like his line where he said he still hasn't been caught this year, caught stealing this year, but he's been called out stealing. So (laughs) that was a fine distinction. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can use that. All right, one more, I guess, uh, trade deadline question, sort of similar to what we've been talking about. Jason Spitz asking, uh, did Stern simply miscalculate in assuming he'd be able to make other moves to improve this year's club? If not, I don't know how a first-place team could ever justify being a net seller at the deadline. Um, I think we might refute the net seller aspect because they brought Mm -hmm. in more people than they gave away, but uh, this was just a really weird deadline overall, too. Not to, like, defend... The lack of a trade for a bat, but like Jock Peterson didn't get traded, CJ Crone didn't get traded, the Cubs didn't trade Wilson Contreras for some stupid reason. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, Ryan. Do you think it was a miscalculation or just kind of the result of a really wonky trade deadline that nobody really got what they wanted? Well, the thing I heard was that there was speculation in the game that really things got held up in the marketplace nobody wanted to move before the soto thing got sorted out because there were so many pieces potentially moving and if if it was possible that you could still get soto you didn't want to commit those prospects elsewhere which meant it was a cascade effect where other teams were saying uh i need to wait to see how the soto thing plays out before i can potentially get my best offer and by the time that all got sorted it was like a couple hours to the deadline and there maybe just wasn't enough time for the market to truly do its thing at that point. Um, and also we need to point out as Steve Garshinsky drew all of our attention to, and managed to get in a shot at me as he always does. Um, the uh, Dan Saborski ran the uh, world series odds before and after the uh, trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And so basically what, how did teams go you know, before and after and the Brewers stayed at exactly 3.2% to win the World Series before the trade deadline and after the trade deadline. So it literally was like a net nothing, at least in terms of that. They did lose some percentage in the division race, though I don't know how much of that was due That's to... the Cardinals adding two pitchers, right? Well, and also just like the loss that yeah. happened that day. Like, I don't know how how like that played into it, like what was going on in the standings played into all of that as well so 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there was maybe some miscalculation, but also I think they made some conscious decisions here to pass on making some deals that they didn't like as a, you know, a matter of cost benefit analysis. And that pisses people off. I know that. But I think that it's been to the Brewers benefit in David Stern's tenure that they have been so focused on that because they've had some really good teams as a result. So I'm okay with it. It just, you know, it, it makes the moment suck more than it needed to. I'm just bummed they didn't get Joey Yellow for nothing. And it pisses me <laughs> off that the Dodgers did. I mean, he's not going to be anything. I'm fine but with just, that. It makes the Dodgers yeah. worse, in my opinion. I'm all for it. Yeah, I just like Joey Gallo. <laughs> we, we argued about Joey Gallo last week. We did. Yes, we did. We did. All right. We still got plenty of questions to get through, so let's kind of burn through these. Dave Penshorn asking, excluding Lamed, who has the best Brewers tenure, Severino, Jake McGee, or Luke Barker? Uh, I have got a good answer for this one. I got you. So, I got gotcha. you. All right. Yeah, the Luke Barker saga. I know. Uh, I, I bet, speaking of tweeting, Ryan, I'll bet we have the same thinking. answer. I will bet we have the yeah. same answer. I'm just gonna say, if it is what I think it is, I will. I will be honest about it. Okay. You go okay, first. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I'm gonna go ahead with Jake McGee as being the one who had the best Brewers tenure because <laughs> he neither had Tommy John surgery nor an 80 game suspension. So <laughs> if you and he you, wasn't wrong on Twitter. So there's that too. He right. He, he didn't Barker... start yelling on Twitter before he knew all the facts. So so yeah. I, I do not have the same answer. My answer is Luke Barker, <laughs> because Luke Barker gets to have his re- rehab paid for um, by the Brewers. So um, and, and surgery and stuff. So that's it. He uh, he he's not on the team anymore, but uh, he's well taken care of. So I, I think it's him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Jake McGee really sucked. Yeah, he, and... did. he was real bad. And he is actually really the culprit. He was the guy who really burned their chances this week more than anybody else. And I totally understand why the Brewers got rid of him. But I also have to say, in defense of the Brewers bringing him in, Jake McGee was really good last year. And so to bring in a guy who was really good last year and then struggled this year to see if there was something you could do to make him be good at a time when your bullpen was in flux anyway... um, I think that was worth it. It was fine. I have to it change. Didn't work. I got to change my answer. I'm sorry. I, I thought uh, of it. Uh, the answer is actually <laughs> the, the answer is Severino because yeah. Uh, if not for Severino taking drugs, we wouldn't have Victor Caratini, who is uh, there you go. for most of the season was one of the best hitters on the team. He's come down a little bit, but uh, he's a clear upgrade. So uh, Severino being stupid got us better player. So it's him. Yeah, uh, I can go with that too that's like one of those butterfly flaps that's wings in brazil <laughs> situations right if yeah, yovani yeah. gallardo's knee doesn't explode do you get cc sabathia right um, exactly right exactly oh man but yeah that luke barker saga man that was that was wild. speaking of tweeting angry yeah. and then uh having to walk it back and then nobody's seeing the walk back and everybody's still calling the brewers cheap because they didn't see the follow-up because that's the way twitter algorithms work uh-huh <laughs> all right poor uh, host of this podcast yes yes uh <laughs> stephen kurtz asking with all the trade deals have we overlooked the player shuffling in between double a AA and triple a there was certainly a lot of transactions uh, post-trade deadline, including basically every outfield prospect in the Brewer system now at AAA, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had uh, Joey Weimer, 
Sal Fralick and Garrett Mitchell all getting promoted to AAA at the same time, being joined by Esther Ruiz uh, right there, right away as well. So those guys are all together uh, rotating around uh, where you've got legitimately three center fielders uh, playing uh, there. So you've got to rotate them around between the, and then with Joey Weimer being really a right fielder. So that's a that's a rotation makes that David Dahl uh, release a few weeks ago seem a lot more uh, prescient of what was coming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there was there was quite a bit of that. Uh, did you see today? Jefferson Caro has been promoted to Wisconsin as well. So there he is go. out of low A. And that is especially noteworthy because that is a catcher who is 19 years old who is now at high A, and you don't get that very often, if at all. Seems so kind of quick, yeah. Well, it, it tells you that the Brewers really, really think that they have something with Caro here, and uh, I know that James Anderson agrees with that, and so do I. Like, he, I think Caro is quite interesting. So there has been some shuffling here, and will continue to be shuffling uh, down the stretch, and uh, always good to see guys getting you know, positive progression and the Brewers really, it must be said are not shy about promoting guys quickly. They, they can be pretty aggressive with their promotion of players, um, especially on the hitting side. And so that is, that's always interesting because they're always willing to challenge hitters and, and push them up the, the, the ladder here. So we will see what the end result of that looks like when, uh, you know, down the road sometime. All right. Speaking of prospects, our last Patreon question from the week comes from Darren Jones saying, complete this sentence. This is the best collection of top dozen Brewers prospects in the Brewers farm system since blank. And I know, uh, Ryan, we were kind of talking before we started. It, it might be a lot sooner than some people maybe realize because just the way this this system is kind of built, as you kind of referred to before. Yeah, Paul, what was your answer? I <laughs> it's hard for me to say um, because I don't, I, I don't pay that much attention to where their farm systems rank from year to year. Uh, it, it seems not as good as like the, the week's brawn fielder class, so not that far back. I don't know, five years ago, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that before they made the Christian Yelich trade, uh, they definitely had a better system. When he says like the top dozen players – you're sure. looking at it in that specific way, top dozen players. Yeah, they had a better system than this. Uh, they didn't have the top end guy. They did not have a Jackson Churio in the system right. at that time. Um, they had some guys that were overrated that ended up, you know, proving to be overrated down down the uh, the pike down you know down the way. But in terms of Lewis Brinson and uh, um, Monty Harrison, Harrison. Yeah. yeah, those guys. But at that moment the depth in that system was really, really good. I mean, really, really good. They had a lot of guys in, on that team, um, a, including a bunch of guys who now pitch for the Brewers, including, you know, Corbin Burns. Uh, Josh Hader wouldn't have been there anymore on that list at that point, but I think Adrian Hauser still would have been. And maybe Aaron Ashby had just been brought into the system around then. So there had been a bunch of moves that were being made Um you know, for guys who either have been traded since been traded or, you know, now play for the Brewers. Yeah. So I, I think that would be the time I would say 
um, because this is specifically about depth. And again, right. We, right. there is no comparable. People went and found this right away today when Jackson Churio got named number two prospect in baseball by Baseball America today. Highest uh, ever. That's never happened. Yeah, the highest ever was Ben Sheets was a five and Ricky Weeks was a five. That's as high as it's ever got. Yep. So, and that goes back to, I think the, the guy who on there the oldest was, was it Tyrone Hill? And that was yeah, 93. Yeah. Or yeah. 90, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and just to be, to be fair, baseball America has gotten a lot better. The whole industry in general has gotten a lot better at prospect ranking and understanding of the value of prospects um, since like listed 1990 were being made. So it, it's a different, it's a different sort of thing. I think that modern lists sort of date more to like 2005 ish when more functional understanding of like prospect value started to really come into the zeitgeist before that it was mostly like which which guys have the loudest tools according to scouts yeah and that was sort of the the basis of all rankings yeah still really exciting though to see jackson Mm -hmm. rank that high and (laughs) you know yeah it's been a long time since the brewers have had a prospect really catch eyes that young too right like mm-hmm. like if ever you know ricky weeks is a college bat ben sheets you know was at least known olympically so like <laughs> yeah uh, but like having a friggin 17 year old do this and i think you know get promoted to high a and, and step right in i think caught a lot of eyes too so yeah i think you can point to the guy i would point to because he came up to the majors as a 19 year old and was a what the number three pick in the draft um jackson Churio is probably the best brewers prospect since robin yaut i think that's <laughs> i mean I just like from a functional perspective like he is probably the best brewers prospect since robin yaut and that's yeah that's like a lot to, that is saying a lot saying you comparing him to a hall of famer but like so i i don't know who else i would comp him to it's hard yeah. to come up with somebody else that was so good so young um and yout actually did if you go back and look yout did struggle in his early years in the majors largely because he was just he was so young he was out there playing at a point when he should have been in the minors he shouldn't have been in the major leagues at that point and the brewers pushed him there because you know they really wanted him to be in the majors at that point and that was also right before uh free agency existed so there wasn't like this you know oh god he's going to be a free agent in six years <laughs> right uh, crisis of thought so yeah i mean i think that it does does that seem out of line to you to say he's the best brewers prospect since robin yout it doesn't but that's mostly because they haven't had that many good ones um right overall the very least, top I, end yeah. your other yeah your, what's your next option your next option is probably probably ricky weeks legitimately right like um <laughs> so a guy who came right before the really prospect ranking era, um, Sheffield would be a oh, guy. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a good call. That's a good call. Like, yeah, Sheffield, Sheffield was, was a, a guy I would wonder about. Uh, if if prospect rankings existed when... So, he was the number one pick in the draft, so he would have gotten a lot of helium that way, but I don't know how much people really thought he was going to be a superstar so much as they just thought he was going to be a good, really good big league player, which is what he turned out to be. Um, I guess like Sixto Lascano maybe is a guy I wonder about. Like if there have been prospect rankings at the time he came up, and sure. certainly when he yeah. was making his young impact in the bigs, 
Uh, I think that would have, you know, that would have garnered a lot of attention and a lot of eyeballs. Um, maybe Molitor in there because he was also a very high draft pick, but he was a college guy. So it's a little bit different yeah, in that perspective. Yeah. Whereas Yacht was, you know, Yacht was drafted really young and then was in the big leagues really young uh, and was, you know, a very highly thought of player from you know, the moment that he was uh, drafted. I don't know if you guys ever gone back and looked at those old scouting reports that uh, float around. Every once in a while when they get circulated on Twitter. Yeah. 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 The Robin Yacht one was pretty interesting. So, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he had insane, insane abilities. Uh, it just, yeah, it took him a few years to kind of actualize that at the major league level. Absolutely. Well, definitely looking forward to you and, and James Anderson talking more about Jackson Churio and his ranking in, in minor league extras to come. Uh, that'll do it for the Patreon questions this week. Thanks to everybody who asked them. Uh, clearly, a lot of them um, talked talking about you know prospects because that's what we do when the big league team is is making us sad and angry so uh definitely a good discussion but hopefully in the next week the brewers try to turn things around and they're gonna have to because as we mentioned lots of games against the dodgers and the cardinals coming up so uh gonna have to play up to the competition as opposed to down to it so before we go this week though i would like to remind you all to leave a review and have uh, a rating for this podcast whether it's on apple podcasts or wherever you listen a reminder paul will read literally anything you write in a review if you give us five stars on apple podcasts that's still the deal here while you're there please do hit that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, spotify podcasts wherever else you listen to us there as well uh that'll do it for the brewers this week as we mentioned at the top though be on the lookout for paul's packers preview over on the reporting as eligible side and uh, we will be back here next week to talk more Brewers baseball. Hopefully more than one win to talk about the next week. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.